So why is American Reef's HPD one of the best fish foods on the planet? Right? That's a question that I got hit with, man, a ton this week. Uh, probably more than I have over the past year, maybe two years, right? Um, not exactly sure why. Maybe somebody posted something out on one of the forums out there. Uh, maybe it was kind of shop talk kind of stuff, because I know there's quite a few shops out there that actually use HPD for their store tanks. Um, but regardless, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a few minutes during the next several episodes right, demonstrating why I make that claim. And again, to me, it's like, prove me wrong, right? Because I'm here to learn more than anything. But ask yourself, and again, this is going to all those people who are asking that question. Ask yourself, uh, the point that I am demonstrating, the way and what you are feeding today, right? Does it accomplish that goal? If it does, perfect. If not, then you'll understand why I'm making that claim. Because a lot of the foods, they just don't hit on these key points, right? First one is basically the effectiveness and the efficiency of the food. Um, what do I mean by that? Okay, what I mean by that basically is you spend money for a percentage of food that does not go into your fish's belly, right? And when I say fish, it's actually organism, right? Because you got cleanup crews, you got coral, stuff like that. So there is a large percentage that never makes it there, right? And as such, goes into the water column, right? You have to figure out how to filter it out, right? Your, if not, your nutrients rise, cause phosphates to rise, again, causes extra bad things to happen in your tank. Corals don't grow, etc. Um, and to boot, you have to invest more money in filtration, for example, whether it's filter socks, filter rolls, you know, better skimmers, whatever that is. And not only are you investing that, then you'll know you'll have your GFOs, all that kind of stuff. Certain tanks will, you know, use GFOs to get it out to try to basically balance that, um, you know, and you'll also get into the other aspects of it where it chews your time up, right, to change, right, the filter socks, the rollers, the pads, and all that sort of stuff, right. So when I say efficient, that's what I mean, right, it's, it's really kind of inefficient because if you take some wild numbers, right, like to me, I'm going to guess that 50% of that actually makes it into an organism's belly, right. So 50% of what you broadcast feed makes it into an organism's belly. You, what are you doing with the other 50%? Right? It's wasted, and it's causing you to spend more time and money. Well, American Reef's HPD solves that. Right? And how does it do it? Well, as you can see in this video here, basically, the HPD itself, after it is made, it's very soft, but yet kind of rubbery, very pliable, and it stays together for one, two, three hours. And what that allows it to do is basically all the food that is there, the fish will take a bite out of it and it's going directly into their stomachs versus into the water column. And obviously not all of it, but a greater percentage will make it into that organism's belly versus hitting the water column. As such, it tends to be more efficient that way. And when I say a larger percentage, I'm going to guess, again, if I used 50% for the broadcast feeding, I'm going to guess 80 to 90% on the HPD side of it will make it that directly into the organism's belly. So to that point, you know, again, it's much more efficient, at least as it relates to feeding your fish. And when you have sick fish, for example, right, you want to target feed. You want to make sure that fish eats, and that's the best way to do that. Now, when you look at that, 
that says that if you feed just HPD, but if you take the other kind of joy of this food, it's customizable. It can take whatever you are feeding today and make sure that you get more out of it. Meaning you take normal HPD and put your mysis in there, right? Put your flakes if you want that or whatever powders. It doesn't matter whatever you are feeding today. You throw it into the HPD, right? You make it into that form, right? And feed it that way. More of it will go directly into the organism's belly. So it becomes, again, a better distribution method than kind of currently broadcast feeding. And what does that do? In the end, what that does is it saves you time because you're not changing filter socks as often. You're not changing the rollers as often, the skimmer cups, etc. The water changes, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, the list goes on and on as far as the time that you spend, but it, again, it will extend that. But then it will also make sure that you're actually getting use out of what you pay for. So anybody who knows me knows that I hate throwing money away, right? And if, again, only 50% of what you pay for makes it into an organism's belly, well then, you know, why even spend that, right? You're just burning money or throwing it away, right? You'd be better off probably. Um, so to that point, that's why I say, again, one of the points that makes American Reef's HPD Right. One of the best fish foods on the planet is because it's a very effective and efficient way to feed your fish. Not only feed it directly, but to change the distribution of what you're already feeding today. And again, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, it all blends very nice into the HPD. And then when you put it on there, again, it, it basically allows it to be distributed directly into that organism's belly, right? Now, flip side to that as well is you have fish, right? You have kind of aggressive fish. You have fish that are timid. When you just broadcast feed, right, not all the timid fish get to eat because the aggressive fish are over there just creating a storm, right? And, and the timid fish are sitting back and just waiting. Well, since the HPD stays solid for so long, again, hours, what it'll do is it'll allow the aggressive fish to go in, hit it, right? But then when their belly's full, they leave, and then the timid fish come and get at it. So again, you are making sure that that fish that you bought is actually eating the food that you wanted to eat. So again, very efficient, very effective. And that is one of the reasons why I make the claim that American Reef's HPD is one of the best fish foods on the planet. And speaking of food, in this episode, we're going to talk with Mike Paletta about the time that he spent growing his own phytoplankton and rotifers during the pandemic. Ultimately, he'll kind of go through what he does and how he does it. And, um, and I think the way that he described it in the video is easy peasy, right? Meaning he's not being super meticulous about growing it. Right? And he's got his ways that he'll describe. But ultimately, you know, we'll see if it makes sense and what he thinks about kind of the benefits that you get from growing your own phytoplankton and rotifers. And to that point, uh, remember, if you're watching these videos, that means you are a saltwater reef keeping kind of dude. And uh, if you need any of those products, please support my sponsors, whether that's Tunzi, Bulk Reef Supply, Premium Aquatics, Top Shelf Aquatics. Again, 
all good, honest, hardworking guys, right, that deserve a chance to earn that business. Right? So to that point, let's bring up that Mike Paletta interview and let's hear about phytoplankton and rotifers. Michael, we got another episode. Yeah, we're doing back-to-back stuff today. Yes. You know, we all had a lot of time for 18 months, so during that time, I learned to grow my own. <laughs> no, actually, I'm uh, growing my own food for the tanks. Uh, one of the experiments I did was growing phytoplankton and growing rotifers. Hold on, hold on. Why? Why would you, when you, with all the food on the shelves out there, why would you, besides you had free time? One, I had the free time. <laughs> Two, there was an interesting paper that showed in Acroporas that none of the manufactured coral foods mm -hmm. they found had any beneficial effect to the Acroporas. The only thing they found was phytoplankton and specifically isochloropsis or isochrysis. Isochrysis mm -hmm. was the only one that was beneficial to the corals. And, but they didn't test live rotifers. And from my friends talking with my friends who were adding phyto and adding Rotifers, they both thought that, the, well, several of them thought they were seeing significant beneficial effects. So I have been since playing with this now since the beginning of the year. So mm -hmm. five months in, and I do it, uh, that was the main reason. And talking with some of the people that have some of the most colorful corals, almost all of them were adding phytoplankton to some degree. Mm -hmm. And they were also getting much better polyp extension. And what's interesting is I get better polyp extension in the frag tank now than I used to. I still don't get significant polyp extension in the big tank. And I'm thinking that's because I have a pair of flame angels in there that tend to pick at everything. So sure. for whatever reason, <laughs> the corals there know not to put their polyps on until it's dark. Right, right. Versus in the frag tank, when I feed the phytoplankton, they do it. Or when I feed the rotifers. So that's what I did. Uh, I got the cultures of the uh, isocrisis. Mm -hmm started culturing that uh it's basically pretty easy uh the smart thing i did was i bought the beverage dispensers from walmart Beautiful. for 12 bucks because yep. then you add what you want to do in the top you take out of the bottom so you can everything going in one direction so the likelihood of you uh, uh ruining the system and having it collapse because you've put something bad into it is, is minimal so from there I have two chambers growing the green water, then I have a bigger, those are each a gallon and a half, then I have a big three gallon version of that growing the rotifers. And I add the green water from the rotifers, but actually I grow enough green water now that I add phytoplankton every day or every other day to the tanks. And the other goes into the uh, uh, rotifer tank. Mm -hmm. The rotifer water is then drained off, it then goes into an automatic feeder, 
It feeds the tank over 20 hours. It takes a gallon of uh, rotifer water and puts it into the tank over that 20 hour period. I, I, it's 20 hours because that's just how I programmed it. Right. Not, <laughs> right. It was just easy to get it to match into that 20 hours for how much is in there. It's right. not some kind of genius thing. <laughs> and so it either feeds the green water or the rotifers, and it does it every day, every other day. And it's interesting to watch when I add the green water into the right. rotifer tank, the water's deep green for about 12, 16 hours. And you can tell the rotifers are consuming and growing fast. Then you got to take the water out with the rotifers in and put it into the uh, into the tank and do it gradually. So I've been I've been pretty happy with it. Can I say I've seen something that's right. so that's, dramatic? Right, that's my question. It's pretty much like I said, incrementally better. All I can say is the corals seem to be healthier and be, be able to fight things off. Mm -hmm. And for the phytoplankton, I still don't believe that the corals are consuming the phytoplankton. Right. But what I'm assuming is the phytoplankton is feeding the microfauna, sure. because one of the things I have seen, like particularly in the refugia, right. where I have some copepods and some amphipods and some other critters living in there, those have exploded since I started feeding the phytoplankton. And when I say exploded, I mean, I could take a cup out and there's probably several hundred in, in the cup. So from that standpoint, they're producing uh, uh, offspring. The offspring are so tiny, they can be consumed by the corals. So in that regard, something positive is happening. Well, now you don't, attribute any of the additional kind of microfauna growth from the addition of the miracle mud that you added? Not as much. Okay. I saw some then, but I see more now after adding the phytoplankton. Sure, sure. I mean, I was getting um, amphipods, copepods, right. and worms growing in the miracle mud, right. but it wasn't to the density that I'm seeing now. Right, right. So it, it, it has dramatically increased it. The rotifers, I don't know what that does. I have I also have a couple uh, uh, NPS corals. Mm -hmm. I have a turquoise tabastria that I put a cup around and put the rotifers in that. I know it eats those because can, I can see the polyps open and close as it captures those. So I know that's a good thing. And uh, probably some of the other things like the uh, euphilias and the goniopora seem to like it as well. Right. So from that standpoint, I'm seeing benefits in terms of polyp extension and growth. Mm -hmm. But again, it's incremental. It's not. Right. Uh, when I go back to not having as much time, will I continue it? I'll probably continue it through at least the end of the summer, mm -hmm. just to see what the long-term effects are for nine months. I think nine months is giving it a, a fair, it's, it doesn't take me a lot of time. I'm doing the lazy man's <laughs> phyto and rotifer culturing. Right. When I say lazy man's, I'm not doing the sterilization that everyone else is doing to the same degree. I'm not starting with all pure water. And I'm not doing different salinity, so everything gets shocked every time you move it. Right. I'm starting with tank water, which sounds insane because tank water has all kind of inoculants that can poison it. Right. I take the tank water, I bring it up in one gallon, and I put it in the microwave for two to three minutes. Mm -hmm. Two to three minutes in the microwave kills everything I know of. Mm -hmm. I then go back with a sterilized water, and that's what I start everything with. When I take out green water, I take out a gallon of the green water, Take a gallon of the tank water, put it in the microwave, let it come down to temperature, pour it back in there. I take the water out of the uh, rotifer culture, right. put it in for the tank, add the green water, there easy it peasy. It's not, I right. try not to make this be rocket science. I mean, I read all this stuff, you have to have this cylinder. Right. Right. I'm not trying to grow this for science. I'm trying to grow this to feed the corals <laughs> right. and make it as easy for a hobbyist. I don't have 12 hours a day to be monkeying around with phytoplankton right. and rotifers. Right, right. It, it takes roughly 10 to 15 minutes mm -hmm. every day, every other day. 
uh, I feed the uh, uh, green water yeah. uh, bacteria or yeah, fertilizer. Mm -hmm. The fertilizer is all consumed by the time I add it into the rotifer culture. There's no fertilizer that I can detect going into the tank because I've not had any algae blooms or anything sure. else. And in fact, when I started adding the rotifers, I had to increase the nitrate addition into the tank because the nitrates came down because the phytoplankton was consuming sure. the nitrates in the tank. Yeah, sure. So there, there's a, some benefits to it. I mean, adding nitrate isn't difficult. I'm adding potassium nitrate to bring the nitrates levels up to five to 10, because right. I don't want them to be to zero. Right. So in that regard, I'm having a, a positive effect. And a um, couple things, when you actually dose the tank, right, you know how you have it in that container, how do you have it, or how do you keep it, I'll say, in the water column versus everything just sinking or being on the bottom and you know it all that. It sits on a stirring plate, and the stirring plate just spins. There we go. I mean, it's real simple. I mean, it was a like a $69 stirring plate. Yep. And it keeps the water in motion and lets them all draw. There we go. You go it that way. Now, what's funny is, though, after five months, uh -huh. where the little... Yes. Bar is, it ate through the bottom of the thing. Oh. Fortunately, it didn't do that until there was only uh, like a couple hundred milliliters left, so it didn't flood the basement. Right. Even though a gallon down there isn't much, but I, it but still causes problems. Yeah. Right, right. But it, it, it still had a very slow leak when it was, was doing that. <laughs> so in that, in that regard. Yeah. Lesson learned. Yeah. You will, you will learn that uh, no matter what you do with a spinning bar, it will eventually eat through right. the plastic. You wonder if, if you do glass, if it would weaken the glass at that point and shatter the glass. It won't shatter the glass, but I know odds are I will shatter the glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I have dropped the thing probably four or five times. Sure. So that's why I try not to have anything be glass. Like our butter dish is plastic because I've dropped broken <laughs> glass dishes. I mean, the funniest thing, I remember Christmas a year ago, mm -hmm. we went into Crate and Barrel and they had ceramic measuring cups. And I said, well, here's money. You should just throw it on the floor. <laughs> and it's, it's the same. I try not to have anything glass. Right. other than the tank in the tank because everything hits the floor and breaks. Right. And I go down there with my bare feet a lot of times and I will find every little <laughs> shard of glass. So I do not do glass, I do plastic. Even though it may eventually, just know in five months it's gonna eat through the bottom. Right. I go to the dollar store to buy the pitchers. Yep. Uh, I buy five at a time. Yep. They work really well. Between that and the super glue at the dollar store. Yeah, the right? dollar store super glue, but I also use uh, Phil's super glue from uh, Polyp Labs. Okay. I've, I like his glue as well. So okay. that it's a little bit stickier. There you go. Is it is it the thicker kind? It's, the, it's even slightly thicker than the, than the gel type from yes. uh, the dollar it, store. Perfect. Plus, I mean, I've treated enough wounds with it. It's really good on my wounds because right. I'm always puncturing or slicing something. Right, right, right. Yeah, my hands are magnetized to uh, uh, razor blades. Yeah, just just attract them, right? I just didn't the look at it. How did I get this cut? I just looked at the razor blade. It, it is kind of amazing. Right. And I even used it for pulling out uh, bristle worms. Really? Oh, I, I in in the uh, 40 yeah, nanotype, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a massive, yes. um, when I say massive. I remember, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was, when I was cleaning it for the leak, I got bristle worms all up my finger and it was like my finger was on fire. Right. I soaked it in scalding hot water, but the bristles were still in there. Right. I coated it with super glue, let it dry, and then just peeled it off and took all the bristles ah, off. Ah, great idea. Yeah, it worked real well, but <laughs> yeah. don't do that. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Yeah. Good yeah, idea, bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs>
so hold on, back to, you know, okay, the whole growing your own food and growing your own. Okay, so as far as, again, you've been doing it now. Five months. Right, and you've stressed the fact, simplicity, which is keeping you in there, incremental change, right? Who would you recommend it for, right? After doing it now, how, you know, is there a, a niche? If, if you have uh, NPS corals, mm -hmm. definitely. If you have uh, euphilias and goniopores, definitely, because they, they really do much better when you feed them. Mm -hmm. And that was one of, the, uh, one of the comparison experiments. I fed them manufactured food versus feeding them the rotifers mm -hmm. and frozen foods. Uh, VTO's frozen foods are coral food and they're uh, uh, lobster eggs and they mm -hmm. have a couple other things. Uh, the, the corals did, from my view, mm -hmm. they showed a much stronger feeding uh, the response to the mm -hmm. frozen foods. They show a feeding response to the dry foods and it's much more convenient to use those because you got to take those out, thaw them and everything, but I saw a stronger feeding response from the frozen foods and from the rotifers. Hmm. I mean, I know a couple people that are, are doing live brine mm -hmm. and feeding baby brine and that has gotten for them an even stronger feeding response. If I give up on this, I may then resort to feeding and growing baby brine and feeding the tank with that. I have the chain, the containers. It will be right. pretty easy to do it. Right. right. So yeah, I mean, uh, you just put a light down at the bottom. They go where the siphon is. You take them out. Right. Throw the water out. Do a water change. Bing. You're. I mean, it's not going to be that hard. Now I always understood it as basically brine shrimp had no nutritional value. I think baby brine do, but I think as they get bitter, unless you feed them something that's nutritious, they have sure. none. But sure. right, newly hatched brine, baby brine do have some nutritional benefit. Which would make sense. Like yeah. to, to me, I always just assumed that they would have value because there is tissue, right? right. There's growth. But it's only for a very short time from what I know. Right. I know yeah. someone will correct us on here, but Which I, is good. from yeah. what I know, it's, it's only a short time. So you got to feed them. You can't you be them three days down. later. You got to feed them yeah. that day. <laughs> good deal. That's why you have a couple batches going and you... you Right. Every other day, every three days, however long it takes to hatch them. So now, for somebody who is breeding fish, you know. Yeah, I mean, Sanjay's got me to do this because watching his tanks where he's breeding clownfish, mm -hmm. but he was just using the frozen green water and then raising the rotifers. I did it the whole system because right, right. I wanted to put the, the live phytoplankton into the tank to see if it was beneficial. That was one of the experiments. Right, right. And I mean, I, I, again, love to say I saw something that was just like, wow, it's amazing. Right. If it did anything, it was incrementally better, but it wasn't, you know, probably statistically significant. So even in your frag tank, right, where it's up close, you can see it every day, you didn't see it, it didn't matter. I saw some right. crazy feeding responses from time to time. Mm -hmm but it wasn't constant and it wasn't consistent and it, the growth rate wasn't so that I noticed that it was much greater than it was prior to me doing that. Got it. Okay, so then for the new hobbyists, which we know these videos are geared for, do it, don't do it. I would say do it to a degree. I'd say get the frozen green water, mm -hmm. frozen, mm -hmm. frozen phytoplankton, use that to feed the rotifers or use that to feed the baby bride and feed it that way. Mm -hmm. I think that would be just as beneficial as what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But since I had time and ways to think of how to do things in my own mind, that's what I did. Okay, perfect. So what else you got to add as far as growing your own? Anything else? Uh, I, I think it may also depend on which species of algae. There may be some that are more beneficial and that show more. Uh, you basically have to do your research. I, like I said, I found the one paper that showed this group was more beneficial than the others. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, uh, that's one of the things we're gonna experiment on. And one of the th reasons I, I'm trying all this stuff is to improve coral nutrition, is to get like where Jamie Craig's is, where he's able to get corals to spawn, 
And one of the reasons he's able to get corals to spawn is he's provided them with significantly better nutrition than we typically do. I mean, the old mindset was, okay, uh, light and fish poop, and that's all you need right. for the corals to thrive. Right. Nope. That probably isn't true. If you want to get the corals to spawn, and I'm guessing there's already are corals spawning in our tanks. Right. I mean, I remember when I had my 1,200-gallon tank, I saw little acropores growing on the rocks, and I had no ideas what they were because they didn't look like any of the corals. They were probably hybrids from the corals in there. Sure. And from Jamie's work, we learned that they, a lot of corals do hybridize with one another if there aren't significant members of their own from a different colony. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that's happening, and I'm assuming it's happening in a lot of other people that have big, big colonies in their tanks. I mean, that's another reason to have grow big colonies. You can get your corals to spawn in the tank. Sure. You know, speaking of which, I know on our last video you had talked about you wanting to go to big, you know, bigger colonies. So to that's what I'm hoping for in that tank over time. Uh, that's what I was shooting for, but I slowed down the process by constantly tinkering with the tank. So once you do this, stay with it, because mm -hmm. if you do it, stop, and then do it again, again, you're tinkering and changing things. Right. You want to keep things like this if you right. can. <laughs> back, to, back to the previous video. Yeah. Stability. Stability is key. <laughs> Good deal, sir. Well, thank you for your time on Growing Your Own. I hope you all have a nice time doing it. <laughs> Take care.